Christ. Amen. Please be seated. My name is Dick. I'm one of the pastors here at Faith Covenant Church. And I have to share with you that before the first service, uh, uh, Jacob, who is playing guitar in our worship team at first service, said uh, to me, "Um, Dick, make sure you realize that God is strong in your weakness. Now, some of you probably know that a little over three weeks ago, I had a total knee replacement. And for any of you who've had knee replacements, weakness goes hand in hand with that. So, or knee and knee with it, exactly. And uh, so this will be interesting. I am 11 hours and 40 minutes from narcotics this se- <laughs> at midnight. It would have really been interesting if I'd stayed on those meds for this, trust me. Now, since the Millers are here and uh, they're helping me with physical therapy, I'm going to take their advice and sit down during the entire sermon as opposed to trying to do half of it standing and almost falling as I did at first service. Three weeks ago, we began a new series of messages titled A Faith Story. And in this series of messages, we're looking at different stories of faith. We're looking at stories of faith that deal with our church, Faith Covenant Church. We're looking at stories of faith from God's Word as we're going to be exploring the first 10 chapters of the book of Acts. We're also going to, as we go through this series, look at some stories of faith from all of you, and we'll see one of those this morning. Kurt began this series three weeks ago, and he shared with us the very beginning through the first chapter of Acts. Jesus, just prior to his ascension, shared with his disciples that they're to wait, to wait until the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon them, they will be Jesus' witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. And as Kurt shared, that's a reminder to you and to me that we too, under the power of the Holy Spirit, are Christ's witnesses in Sumner, in Puyallup, Ording, even to Honduras and Guatemala, to the ends of the earth. If that's God, tell him I'm busy right now. (laughs) Now, one thing we're adding each Sunday is an element to our stage design. And that week, if you remember, we added the pulpit. Now, this pulpit was in the very first church of what later became Faith Covenant Church. It was called Puyallup Presbyterian Church at the time. And that was the pulpit 12 years before Washington became became a state in 1889. So we have the pulpit. Now last week, Kurt shared with us when the power of the Holy Spirit came upon those gathered disciples when they're in the upper room. And if you remember, there was a sound like a rushing wind and what appeared to be tongues of fire landed on each of the disciples. And these gathered disciples began to speak in languages. They had no idea what they were speaking. They were speaking dialects and specific languages of the people who had been gathered outside for Pentecost, 50 days after Passover. And the people outside were amazed that these simple Galileans were speaking in their language. And they wanted to know more from these simple Galileans. What were they sharing? What was it that gave them the ability to speak in these languages? It made absolutely no sense, except someone decided um, it was because the disciples were drunk. Now, I have to say, I've been around a few inebriated people, and their language tends not to improve. It tends to denigrate with alcohol. But that was the excuse given. 
And uh, what, what Kurt was sharing with us last week is we too are empowered with the Holy Spirit that allows us to do the wonderful blessings we can do as we share the good news of Christ with others. And last Sunday, we were fortunate to share in the sacrament of our Lord's Supper and the new element that was placed upon the stage was our first communion table. Now, this wasn't quite all the way back to 1877, but nearly that far back, another element. Now, this morning, I want to share with you another faith story, an individual whose story of faith and the very beginning of what ultimately became our church, Faith Covenant Church, intersected. Now, this individual was born in 1816 in England. His family immigrated to the U.S. in 1826 and settled in the Midwest. This individual ended up going to college, graduated with a degree in teaching, got married the same year, taught, and actually became a principal. But there was just something that this individual felt wasn't right. It's as if he wasn't doing exactly what God had asked him to do. And so he decided to take another path. He began to go to law school and became an attorney and practiced law for a number of years. But there was still this yearning, this still desire to do something more, something else that God just placed on his heart. This individual went to what is now McCormick Seminary, graduated in 1847, ordained a Presbyterian pastor. His name, George Whitworth. And George Whitworth's picture is on the desk behind me. Um, We had a great picture we're going to put up on the screen, Um, a really strange picture. If you go online, it's the weirdest beard I've ever seen, and Kurt and I talked about it. It's a beard that is here and clean-shaven up there just strange. So maybe we'll show that next week. But George Whitworth. George Whitworth was ordained Presbyterian, began serving churches in the Midwest, but had a passion to plant churches and had this desire to move to Puget Sound. He'd read about the Puget Sound area and was just intrigued by it. So intrigued that he was able to gather together some 50 families who initially committed to take the long, arduous wagon train journey west to go to this area. Well, when push came to shove of the 50 families, only two other families joined the Whitworth family. They must have really heard the stories of the wagon train journeys. Uh, But the three families headed west connected with other wagon trains, and were successful in arriving in Portland, Oregon, uh, just at the beginning of winter. Made the decision to winter over in Portland uh, before heading north to the Puget Sound area. And during that time, Whitworth planted the very first of some 20 churches that he planted, the first Presbyterian church that was planted in Portland, Oregon. In the spring, he and his family headed north and landed in Olympia, Washington, got a 320-acre land grant, began to build a a home there and a farm, and as was the passion that George Whitworth had, he planted the first Presbyterian church in Olympia, a church that he served up until 1860. In 1860, George Whitworth petitioned the Presbytery of the Puget Sound and asked them to relieve him of his duties of being pastor of the first church in Olympia, Washington. He said he simply couldn't afford to support his family on the wages that he was being paid. 
It covered half of his expenses, and that was even supplementing his income with what he received from farming. Now, the presbytery relieved him of his duties of being the full-time pastor of that church in Olympia, but in no uncertain terms refused to allow George Whitworth to stop preaching the gospel. George Whitworth, every Sunday, each month, would preach at a different location. And in that preaching at different locations, he would preach until a core of people came together that might be interested in planning a church. Here in the Sumner area, he preached at the little school. Now, during those years when he wasn't a full-time pastor, George Whitworth did a whole lot of different things. He was a customs agent, a surveyor. He was a secretary for the Indian Bureau in what was the region of this area at the time. He was an entrepreneur in the early coal industry in this area. Now, any of you who are from Washington State University, you may not want to hear this, but for four years total, he was president of the University of Washington. Now, just so y'all don't feel too bad if you're from Washington State, um, you didn't exist during that time. It wasn't until 1889 that uh, Washington State College was founded. Now, George Whitworth continued to preach, continued to share, and as I said, he was preaching once a month at a small schoolhouse here in what was known as the Puyallup Valley. And in 1877, six individuals desired to plant a church here in this area, and George Whitworth was the founding pastor of that church in 1877. Six individuals were the founding members, six individuals. And within one year, those six individuals grew to many, many more and were able to have an actual church here in what ultimately became Sumner Presbyterian Church and ultimately Faith Covenant Church. But George Whitworth continued to to preach. More churches were planted, some 20 total. But that wasn't just all George Whitworth wanted to do. Um, He wanted to establish an academy. And a few years after Sumner Presbyterian Church, or as it was known then, Puyallup Presbyterian Church, um, he started the Sumner Academy. It actually met in the sanctuary of that very first church. And that Sumner Academy moved to Tacoma, became Whitworth College, and after George Whitworth's death, moved to Spokane and is now Whitworth University. One individual's story of faith, how it intersected with this body now, 100 plus years later, the founding pastor. I want to share with you a little bit from the Acts of the Apostles, and we're going to be looking at chapter 2. Um, verses 42 to 47, but before we look at that, and it'll be on the screen and also starting on page 1694 in our pew Bibles, a little bit of follow-up that happened before. If you remember, last week we left with someone saying, well, those disciples were able to speak those languages because they were drunk. Well, Peter, under the power of the Holy Spirit, stands up and begins to share Share in a way that Peter was never able to do before. And Peter begins by saying, there is no way the disciples are drunk. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. And then Peter shares the good news of Christ, the story of who Jesus is and what happened to him. And by the time he was nearly done, those who were listening said, what must we do? What must we do to be saved? And Peter said, repent, believe the good news of Jesus Christ and be baptized. And by the time Peter was done, 3,000 people 
came to faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Now that's a story of powerful preaching, but that's also a rich, wonderful story of faith. Of faith. Now our passage today, Acts 2, verses 42 to 47, encourage you to follow along silently as I read aloud. Listen to the words recorded by the physician historian Luke and hear God's message to each one of us about how we can and should act as the body of Christ as we come into community. The disciples devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Please join with me in prayer. Uh, Gracious, loving God. We thank you for the privilege that we have to come before you this day, to give you glory and honor to worship you. Lord, we pray your Holy Spirit indwells us, that, Lord, we might hear that message you have for us, and, Lord, we will have the courage to apply it in our lives, in your ministry, each and every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, friends, there's six very simple things we see this morning in our passage. Six things that we are applying in our lives as individuals, but more importantly, in the life of this church called Faith Covenant. And I think we're encouraged to continue to apply those as we grow in these areas. The first thing, we, we look at studying the apostles' teaching, and for us today, that means studying God's Word. And we do that here through Bible study, as we do it within worship. The disciples also broke bread together. And we do that, not only here, but we do it in fellowship beyond here. We fellowship together. Now, oftentimes that's breaking bread together, but it can be much more than that. It can be simply going out and hiking together. And as we'll hear about, the opportunity to walk or run a half marathon for clean water as we look to the rock and roll marathon and trying to raise money, as some of you all did last year. I'm not doing that this year, I will tell you. Maybe if it was August, but I'm not going to do it in June. They also, they also prayed together, and prayer is an integral part as to who we are as the body of Christ. It was integral in that early story of faith and the early church in Acts, and it's just as important today. And what we see in the passage is the early apostles, the early disciples lived out what they were learning. It talked about signs and wonders that were being displayed and people were in awe of what was happening. And that means they were using what God had taught them to do and they were doing it. And that's like us. When we hear what God asks us to do and we follow up and actually live it out, that's what God's asked us to do. And what's such a blessing, it says that when they were doing this, People were being saved daily, and people were coming into the church. And we are blessed as we see new folks coming into this small part of the body of Christ each and every week, seeking to know and to love Christ more and to grow in Him, to be part of a rich, wonderful community. Now, I love God's providence, His sovereignty, how in His creation we can often learn some wonderful lessons. 
Now, this time of year, not as much as maybe a few months ago, um, probably almost every day, we can see a flock of geese flying overhead, heading south. Now, there are great lessons we can learn from geese. Now, I got to tell you, geese are not my favorite animal. Geese are dirty. They are noisy. They're messy. They're dirty. They're messy. They're dirty. They're noisy. And sometimes they're a little cantankerous and mean. Now, we lived at Lake Tahoe on our beaches in the little town we lived at. Uh, They had goose dogs. And the dogs would go out and chase the geese away. And after a couple weeks, the geese realized there were probably better beaches in which to make a mess, not the beaches which we wanted to walk around. So geese aren't necessarily my favorite animal, but obviously God loves to use the most unique characters to teach us some lessons. Now, there are four things we can learn from geese that might help us in our sense of community, our sense of fellowship. And the very first thing is the concept of fellowship. Now, geese fly in that V formation intentionally. Now, I'm no aeronautical engineer at all, but in reading about it, it seems that the birds in front provide lift for the birds behind, which makes it easier for the birds behind to fly. Now, I read one point where it said birds, when they fly in that V formation, are able to fly almost twice as far than they could if they flew by themselves. Now, if you ever watched a formation of geese flying, you see one kind of fall out of formation, they're going to get right back in that formation as quick as they can because that lift helps them to be able to function and to do more easily and to be more efficient. And that's a lesson for us about our fellowship. When we work together, when we do things together, we can be more efficient and accomplish more than we could if we do it simply by ourselves. Another lesson is the concept of sharing the workload. Now, there's great lift for those geese who are behind, but the goose who's out in front, that goose is working its wings off. That goose is helping everybody else go further, better. Now, that goose isn't out there the whole time. The lead goose rotates back into the flock, and another goose comes out front to, in a sense, break that wind so that they can continue to go and have the efficiency that they have working and flying in that V. And for you and for me, the lesson is we all can't be leading all the time. Sometimes someone else has to come out and relieve those who are leading. And those who are leading need to take a break sometimes. I love our Constitution. It says that you can serve on council for two terms, and then you have to at least take a year off. Someone else can step up and serve. And for those of us that aren't serving and not actively involved in the ministry, this may be a challenge for us to go, I'll try that. Maybe I can lead or maybe not, but I'll try it. Maybe that's the challenge for us. Another concept we learn is encouragement. Now, geese are extremely noisy. If you ever walk by a flock of geese that are on the ground, um, there's usually some century geese that are kind of get their heads up, and if you get a little closer to them, say you're on a walk, not trying to bother them, all of a sudden the century geese make a little noise, and if you get too close, those geese make a whole lot of noise, and the flock flies away. Well, when geese are in that formation, they are just as noisy, and they're noisy to be encouragement to those who are flying out front, to let them know they're doing a great job and to keep going, 
God's providence. And you know what? We need that when we're ministering as well. We need encouragement. Yeah, we got to challenge each other to do better. We got to go, oh gosh, we didn't do as well this time and we need to lovingly be critical. But what we need is the encouragement, maybe not honking like Canadian geese, but a well done, good and faithful servant this side of heaven might be a good thing. Might be a good thing. And the last thing that we learn about and from geese is the concept of sharing burdens. Sharing burdens. If a goose becomes ill or injured and can't keep up with the flock, two other geese will fly back with that injured or wounded goose. The flock may continue on, but they haven't forgot that person, that goose, who's been wounded or injured. Two will stay with that goose until either it's well enough, healthy enough, to fly again to catch up with another flock heading south, or until that goose has died. But there's a sharing of the burden. And when we think about community, isn't that what we do? We certainly share with each other the celebrations in our lives. But don't we also come alongside each other when there's challenges? Lift each other up. Maybe it's simply a hug. Maybe it's a prayer. Maybe it's a a casserole. Maybe it's just a a touch on the shoulder saying it's going to be okay. The sharing of burdens. Community and geese, you don't always think of them coming together, but in God's sovereign providence, we learn a lot from geese. I want to share, we want to share another story of faith with you, and I'm going to invite Bert Ellison to come forward. Um, Bert's a dear friend from, gosh, I think we're talking almost 30 years ago now, and that's a long time, and I'm going to slide over here. Um, Bert, I, I, I shared this earlier. Uh, someone asked me if you actually chaired the pastor search committee that called George Whitworth. Now, <laughs> now, now you don't have to answer that because, because I know that's not possible. Because you didn't join the church until October 18th, 1953. Now, that was a long time ago. And I, I thought it was 62 years, but you think it's 63 Okay, okay. You're the pharmacist. You would count. I'm the pastor. Yeah, yeah. I'm the pastor. I don't count. But Bert, in all those years, okay, in those years that you've been a member of now Faith Covenant Church, have there been times that you've seen this body of Christ operate in rich, wonderful ways where community came together um, to accomplish a common goal? You're, You're supposed to answer now. It'll be a long service if you don't. But we don't have to worry about a Seahawks game today, do we? Well, well, uh, well, Sonny. <laughs> okay, Poppy. Um, actually, I do still remember a few things. And uh, one of the things that came to mind when Dick asked me to, to think of something where the church worked together uh, was back in 1911 when we... <laughs> No, no, that was no. I, I think that that's too far bad. back. Yeah, no. Um, in the mid '70s, we were meeting in the Snelling Hall was our church, and we had a congregational meeting to talk about if it was time to build a sanctuary. It was a relatively contentious meeting, with some feeling God was telling them that we should move ahead, and others telling us that God was saying. 
it's not time, we need to hold back. Well, after a lot of prayer and consideration by the congregation, they voted that yes, it is time to go ahead, that God is leading us forward. And so even though that meeting was somewhat contentious, as soon as that decision was made, the people of the church pulled together and decided, you know, how are we gonna do this? They raised money, they sold bonds to try to finance this. And most of all, they decided that, you know what, we're gonna have to do the labor ourselves. And so that's much smaller congregation than we have now uh, got together under the direction of Orrin Williams and actually built this church almost entirely with church labor. Uh, some of the things I remember are raising the walls. These walls don't look so big, but they're huge. When you have a rope tied to the top of them, one team is pulling on the rope, the other team is walking it upright, and you're hoping when you're holding onto that rope that the people on that other side aren't going to push it over. Because, uh, it, was, it was quite an event. Uh, these beams that you see across here, I actually carried those up there single-handedly. <laughs> Bert, 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 Bert. You are in church. Oh. Just, oh. not that it should, it shouldn't matter where you are, but I, I okay. a little okay. more care. Maybe, okay, okay. I, I, as I recall now that I think about it, um, there are two beams, small beams right there and there, which you may be able to see, uh, which uh, there was like six or eight of us actually carried those beams across the roof and set them into place. Uh, but this was all work that we did together. Now, as we did the work, the church had all pulled together to, to finance it and to do the labor, and we were kind of doing it for ourselves because we wanted to have a sanctuary. But as the time went on, we, and over these years, we've realized that, you know, we weren't really building it for ourselves. We were building it because we could just like the scripture that we had today where the people were being added every day that believers were coming to know Christ, uh, we found that uh, this building was put up here to bring more people to Christ. And so uh, it's always good to kind of look back and think about the people who have invested so much in this facility so that we could be here now. Thank you. Yeah, I, when we were ministering at Lake Tahoe, I remember you and Chris and others went to Guatemala and tried to help the least of these with a wonderful project dealing with stoves. Uh, you want to share about that a little bit? Because that seemed like community coming together in rich, wonderful ways. Absolutely, it was. Um, this was a, a mission project. Paul Means kind of started this whole thing. He's still doing trips to Guatemala, but... Uh, it was a, a big undertaking for the church. We had probably 20 people who uh, were willing to go on this mission trip. You had to pay for your own transportation, but we also had to pay for all the wood stoves that we were to build in this small village up in the mountains of Guatemala. Uh, an amazing amount of money, and we were, we'd committed we're going to go, but how are we going to pay for it? The church, again, came together. They held fundraisers. They had pancake feeds. They had rummage sale. They did all kinds of things to draw together to support the mission, to go out and 
bring Christ's message and, and his concern for the other people in the world. Thank you. Appreciate it, Bert. Do you want to hear about... No, no, that's enough. <laughs> Stories of faith. Whether we're talking about that story of faith of George Whitworth, who thought he wanted to be a teacher, then an attorney, and finally, finally realized where God had called him to be a pastor, who planted 20-plus churches, including our church, Faith Covenant Church. Story of faith as we look at the early disciples out of Acts 2, and the rich story of faith of what was Sumner Presbyterian, now Faith Covenant Church, as we look at how this sanctuary was built based on faith, and a few more people than just Bert, and uh, how we can go other places to share the good news of Christ with the least of these. Amen. We got your picture up there after all. Oh, they got it. Good. (laughs) Isn't that an interesting beard? Think of that. Hate to think about what the hair on his chest was like. We won't go there. So part of our story of faith is um, that we became, uh, joined the Evangelical Covenant Church denomination a few years ago and became Faith Covenant Church under the leadership of some wise and and wonderful people like yourselves and and, uh, the leaders at, at that time who felt called by the Spirit to make that change. And uh, this week, the uh, Evangelical Covenant Church leaders are gathering in Chicago, where their headquarters are in North Park area, and they have a midwinter conference once a year, and our pastor, Kurt Nothelfer, our senior pastor, our lead pastor, is uh, already there, along with Kara Harris, and Greg Newart will be traveling there later today. So we appreciate your prayers and support for them as they spend this week uh, learning and growing together, and and we're grateful for the denomination that we now belong to. It's a forward-thinking, very biblically-based, and a very fast-growing denomination in in our world these days. So your gifts and offerings help us to support the work of the Evangelical Covenant Church and and help us to be able to send our leaders there for renewal and new learning and growth. And we look forward to having them come back and and share with us what that was all about. And so as the ushers come forward to receive our offerings, I invite you to pray with me. Loving God, through all our years, let the church be a place where we learn about love and practice it, where we envision peace and work to build it, where we meet partners in faith and cherish them, where we discover our gifts and offer them. May your spirit guide us toward joy and generosity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We take our offering this morning. We'd like to share with you a song that talks about our story together and and that when we share our story, we're really sharing.